Hey, Bible readers, I'm Tara Lee Cobble, and I'm your host for the Bible Recap. Today, we open with Jesus dealing again with the complaints of the Pharisees. They're upset that his disciples don't wash their hands before meals. If this sounds familiar, it should. Jesus dealt with this himself back in Luke 11 when he went to dinner at the Pharisees' house. But this time, the scribes and Pharisees have apparently traveled from Jerusalem to Galilee, which is almost 80 miles, to address this situation. Per usual, Jesus points out that this isn't breaking God's law, it's breaking man's traditions. Just because their religion set this up as their law doesn't make it God's law. According to God's law, only the priests had to wash their hands before meals. Jesus points out the hypocrisy in their accusation because he says they break the actual law in order to keep their man-made traditions, which are sometimes in conflict with God's law. Then he quotes the words of Isaiah in reference to the people of Jerusalem. The passage talks about people who do acts of worship and have the appearance of godliness, doing and saying all the right things, but who don't actually love God. They love their religious acts. They love being right, but they don't know anything about righteousness because that only comes through a relationship with God not through their good deeds. This whole thing is probably a little unsettling to the disciples. Imagine being a teenager who didn't wash up before dinner and suddenly a bunch of religious leaders make an eight-day round trip just to rebuke you for it. Jesus addresses the disciples and all the people who had seen this go down, and he sets the record straight for them. He's like, look, my disciples aren't in trouble here. They didn't do anything wrong. These Pharisees want you all to believe that you can become unclean because of dirty hands, but they're just making stuff up. It's not only untrue, it's irrational. Later, when he's just talking to his disciples, Jesus circles back around and says, wash your hands or don't, it doesn't matter. What does matter, though, is what comes out of your mouth, because that testifies to what's in your heart, and your heart is the point. The heart is where evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander originate. In biblical language, the heart is the origin of our thoughts. The heart was regarded as the seat of the thoughts, emotions, and will, and that has always been God's focus. Mark's account of this story also makes note that what Jesus says here has some far-reaching implications. All those Old Testament foods that were unclean, verse 19 says Jesus just declared that they're okay to eat. We'll see more of this unfold throughout the New Testament, but it started here with Jesus. Thanks for bacon, finally. Then Jesus wraps up his conversation with the disciples by giving a brief commentary on the Pharisees. He says, By the way, don't worry about those guys. Right now they have the appearance of being God's kids, but everyone who isn't in God's family will eventually be rooted up. They won't last. They're trying to be the leaders of other people, but they can't even see where they're going. If you follow a blind leader, you'll both end up in a pit. So we're not following them. After this, they head north for a bit, into a Gentile region on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Based on what we've seen and learned so far, the fact that they're intentionally going into a Gentile region should send up some flares for us to catch our attention. First, they're going into territory they'd normally seek to avoid. Second, they're going to a place where Jesus can speak freely about what he has to offer the Gentiles because he doesn't have to worry about them trying to make him their king like with the Jews. The Gentiles aren't expecting a Messiah but they still need a Messiah, and he knows it. They still need a Savior they don't know they need, so the Savior goes to seek them out. As soon as Jesus arrives, a Gentile woman comes to him begging him to help her demonized daughter. There are two noteworthy things in the way she addresses him. First, calling him Lord doesn't mean she recognizes him as God. This is just a way of showing honor. However, 
The second thing to note is that she calls him son of David. This seems to show us that she knows something. She's on to him. I always had a hard time with this passage until I studied it deeper, because on the surface, it certainly seems like he's being cruel to her. But here are a few things I discovered that helped me. First, based on the fact that she approaches him right away and seems to know who he is and what he's capable of and that he's hiding from everyone else in town, I have a feeling that she's the whole reason he came to this area to begin with. The whole road trip for this woman. The second thing I noticed is that the disciples try to send her away, but Jesus talks to her. He engages in conversation with her. It feels dismissive at first. He tells her he's not there for her. He's there for the people of Israel. And yes, that is his first mission. But this seems more like he's testing her faith than anything else because of how it all ends. It reminds me of when he's walking on water and he starts to walk past the boat first. And it reminds me of how he was reluctant to do the whole water into wine thing initially, but then he does it. Why does he seem to reverse his decisions like this? Here's a guess. Being the sovereign God of the universe, the heart reader and mind reader we've seen him to be, the one who knows the future already, he knows what's going on with this woman, and he knows exactly what he's going to do. So I think this is an opportunity for her faith to be tested in front of anyone who might be watching. The third thing I noticed is that when he refers to her as a dog, he's apparently using a more affectionate form of the word, not a derogatory one. Whew. Finally, he praises her for her faith and then heals her daughter. Instantly. After this, they turn around and go home, which is another reason I think he was just there for her. A 70-mile road trip that was maybe just for one woman who happened to know somehow that Jesus is the Messiah. Regardless, this woman is a beautiful demonstration of how his reach extends beyond just the Jews. When they get back to Galilee, he heals a deaf man and tells him to keep quiet again. But of course, the man doesn't. Then, when he's hanging out on a mountainside in what's widely considered to be a Gentile region, the locals start bringing all kinds of sick people and laying them down in front of him, and he starts a three-day healing marathon. Can you imagine how exhausting this must be? Yes, he's fully God, but he's also fully human. Despite any level of exhaustion he might be feeling, his compassion for the people, who are almost certainly Gentiles, by the way, takes precedence. While they're all there, he turns to his disciples and says, we should feed these guys. Because surely they remember that spontaneous dinner party he threw for 15,000 people. But like all of us, these guys need to see things done repeatedly before it starts to sink in. So Jesus is like, okay, here's how this works. I ask you how much food you have. You say barely a happy meal. I say perfect. That's more than enough. Because in case you haven't noticed, I always have enough of everything you need. There's no need to despair ever. He thanks God the Father for the food, acknowledging him as the provider, then blesses it and multiplies the food again. This time, there are seven baskets of leftovers. And as we've talked about before, seven is the number that represents completion and perfection in the Jewish culture. We'll talk more about this soon. Today, my God shot was on the side of the mountain on the shores of the Sea of Galilee as they were bringing all the people to him that needed healing. Matthew 15.30 says, Great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put them at his feet, and he healed them. The image of them laying people at his feet brought to mind Revelation 4, 10-11, which talks about Jesus on his throne in the eternal kingdom. It says, The elders will fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. What a vast difference in the things we place at his feet. On earth, it's the crippled, and in the kingdom, it's crowns. 
and Jesus welcomes all of it. He doesn't just take the crowns and the glory. He stays for three days to heal everyone who needs his help. What a compassionate Savior. He's where the joy is. If you are one of the kind souls who's been looking to give a one-time donation to the Bible Recap, first of all, thank you. Second of all, check out thebiblerecap.com forward slash contact to find out how you can do that. We're so grateful for your support. Because of you, we continue to be able to help more people read, understand, and love God's Word. Because of you, more and more people are finding out that He's where the joy is. If you've got five minutes to spare and you want to use it wisely, praying for others is a great way to do that. My friends at Way Nation have a prayer wall full of prayer requests, and whenever you tap the pray button, the person who submitted that request gets a notification that you are praying for them. Can you imagine how encouraging that would be to their heart? You can help people feel known and loved and cared for. If you have five minutes to spare, click the link in the show notes and pray for a few of the requests on the Way Nation prayer wall today.